0: Well, we are in the middle of the Advent season as we anticipate, as we celebrate the birth of Christ uh, when God came to earth. We're going to look at uh, the wise men this week, today. As a matter of fact, I can title it Star Wonders. We've got, I believe there's a movie coming out, something like that. But nevertheless, uh, we're going to look at the wise men and what they have to teach us. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. There are two Christmas stories that are recorded in the Bible. The primary, Primarily, they're found in Matthew chapter two, uh, 1 and 2 and in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at the one in Matthew here in just a moment. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, about, uh, I guess it's been 11 years now, uh, ago, 11 years ago, uh, the great tsunami hit over in the Indonesia area. And uh, there was a group of people uh, called the Morgan Sea Gypsies that out of Thailand, and uh, they're fishermen. They're, they're only about 200 men, and they kind of travel around on the beaches, and they will literally live on the beaches part of the year, and they're fishermen. That's how uh, they make their living, and they've been around for uh, centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, many of them uh, cannot read or, or write, uh, but they're fishermen, and they've always been able to uh, make a living okay by being fishermen out of the ocean. Well, uh, they were taught by their elders, and it was passed down. Uh, <clears throat> these stories, these truths were passed down to them, and one of the ones that was passed down was uh, about tsunami, and they told about how their ancestors had experienced tsunamis, and they said, this is what our ancestors have learned, that if, uh, if you see a strong wave, a strong uh, current come in, and it crashes uh, uh, 50 to 100 yards past, normally, where the sea would hit and it does it quickly, and then it rescinds immediately, then you know the tsunami is coming. You know a tsunami is coming. You need to run for the hills. Run to the highest point you possibly can run. And so in 2004, December, just 11 years ago from this month, uh, when the tsunami hit, before it hit, uh, it did just as their ancestors had said, just as their elders had taught It came in and it passed about 100 yards past where it normally was. But then it quickly rescinded. And there were fish all over the beach. There were sea life and fish. And remember, these guys are fishermen. It would have been so tempting to go uh, for poor people to, to take all those fish and just load up on baskets. They didn't even have to go out into the ocean that day and load them up and leave. But they knew they had been warned. You only have minutes. If you don't go immediately, you will die. And so all, nearly 200 men, take off and they leave. And there were many others and they were yelling at them to leave, but many people didn't have that. They didn't know that. They hadn't heard those. And there were many who heard in the villages that thought those were simply legends. They're just stories. But when the tsunami hit, all those who were left on the beach died, but not a single one of the Morgan Sea Gypsies perished. Why? Because they believed the lessons and the truths of their elders that had been passed down, many people look at the Christmas story today and they think, "Oh, it's a story. It's a it's a legend," and they pass it off in that manner. But if you do that, that is so unwise. You will have missed a truth that God has intended for us, that he came to this earth in the form of man. He lived the perfect life and then died the death that we should have died, that we might have life. But it all begins right here, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as we're going to look in just a moment, Uh, at Matthew chapter 1, we know that the wise men come and they're going to bring gifts for the birth of Jesus. And actually, he's probably a baby at this point. He's anywhere from six months to 18 months old by the time they get there. The Bible tells us they actually came to a house. As a matter of fact, as we look at the text, uh, there are a lot of things that culture has uh, ingrained in our minds about the Christmas story that's not actually there. Uh, and we'll look at that in just a moment, but one thing is true. We know that the wise men came bringing gifts. Now, typically, if you were going to a baby shower, and we'll just call this, uh, you know, one of the, the greatest bi- baby showers ever, but uh, if you're going to a baby shower, you might get something like this. Certainly, you would maybe want to think about diapers. I know that was a big deal at my house when we had little ones, and so that's always, those are always necessities, but for Jesus, there were unique gifts brought to him. What's brought to him? Well, gold, first of all, and you know, gold—that was the substance of kings. It's what the temple was. Uh, a lot of the temple had gold laying. in. a lot of times, the the uh, courts of majesty would have gold upon them. And kings—it uh, was kind of a king's currency, so to speak. And by the way, if you've ever wondered, how did Joseph and Mary, who were peasants, we know that. We know they were very poor because the sacrifice that they offered uh, for purification was that one of pigeons, which was reserved only for the poor, only if you couldn't afford a lamb, only if you couldn't afford a, a, a sacrifice more substantive. So it was, it was a provision for the poor. So they didn't have anything. And then, of course, God warns them, it's time to go to Egypt for Herod seeking you. He tells Joseph that. How do you make it in a land in which you do not belong, in a, in a place, and even where they were, in a, in a country and in a time where you were very dependent upon your family and upon your relationships, and now they're leaving to go to Egypt, I believe this probably would have been God's provision, okay? It's also the picture of the royalty of the king, of the true tree, king who's come, but God is so efficient. Uh, I'm sure that they probably used that during that time to be able to survive and to do okay. Uh, and then we see uh, what we call Frankincense. You see that in the Bible, which was an incense. Matter of fact, Origen, one of the great patristic fathers, called it the incense of deity, and it was used in Leviticus chapter two, verse two. Uh, You can go back and look at that chapter, Leviticus, and this incense was born was uh, was lit when they were giving uh, their sacrificial offerings, particularly their grain offerings. So it was uh, reserved in that sense. It was very expensive and it was thought to be part of the act of worship uh, during the, the Levitical period. And then uh, there is myrrh, of course, and uh, myrrh is used for medicinal purposes. It's also used as an anesthetic. It's used for several reasons, but um, we also know from John chapter 19, uh, we see that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, come. I think it's actually Nicodemus comes, and he brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to be placed upon Jesus for his death And uh, so it's used in that manner. So you see these three gifts, which would have been quite uh, of a great expense, but they all have great representation of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he would do. Now, I want us to look for just a moment at a song, and then we're going to look at our scripture here. Uh, Many of you are very familiar with the song, uh, we Three Kings. Now, there are a couple of indiscriminacies. I don't think it's a bad song, but there are a couple of things that are inaccurate. Now, I don't want us to get too caught up in that. It's easy to get legalistic, but they actually weren't kings. They were what we call magi, okay? And magi were astrologers and interpreters. They interpret dreams. They would interpret signs and things, and uh, they were astrologers. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, they're even referred to as magicians. And the Bible says that, or excuse me, in this song, goes, We three kings of Orient, they're from the east, uh, probably the Persian Babylonian area, and, um, and they come bearing gifts, we traverse afar. Now, why are they bringing gifts? You ever thought about that? Why on earth? How do they know? Matter of fact, think about this. If you were a Christian writer, or you were a Christian forefather, or a Jew, the last thing that you would ever do is write into this script of when the Savior is being born, and the first people to really show up and worship, the people who are really seeking him, um, those would have been the people of the Babylonian descent. You remember the ones who captive our great-great-great-grandparents and hauled them off and made slaves out of them and killed a lot of them? and uh, took them to Persia, took them to the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, um, you wouldn't think, hey, you know, they were so kind to us. Let's get them in here. You wouldn't have thought that. So why would that be in the text? If you were writing a legend, why would you put that in the text? The answer is you wouldn't. Certainly as a Jew, there would be much animosity. And as a Christian, we're going, magi? Really? You're putting magicians? Because everything, every every place else you see in Scripture, uh, when you see magician, it's bad. All right? All right. There's a condemnation upon it. So you wouldn't make this up and write this into the text unless it were true. Following yonder star. What about that star? Well, we don't really know what it is that they saw or what they found. Um, we, we do know this. We know in 44 a, uh, B.C. Julius Caesar uh, died, and they began to have festivities over the next few weeks um, in kind of glorification of Julius Caesar. Uh, what's interesting is, a matter of fact, it's known as Caesar's Comment. Uh, while they were doing those festivities, um, this bright star, this supernova occurred that you could even see in the daytime. Uh, and it, you know, it lasted for a while, uh, for days and days and days, and people would see it. And so the Romans capitalized on it and said, see, it's the deity of Caesar among us. And I, I mean, this was great for the astrology business at this point. And so people really looked at that, and they, they had that mindset. And so people who Trek, the stars, they were considered the wise men. Those were the smartest guys, the guys who had studied the stars, and and some believed that the gods had messages and would speak to them. But how do they know that? How do they know that? How do they know that Jesus is being born? How do they know to look for that star? Well, I'll tell you how they probably know. Remember I told you how the Babylonians captured them and took them off and uh, debatable somewhere around 593, 592, 591, something of that nature. We see the exile, the Babylonian exile happens. And then in uh, 539, I believe it is, Cyrus releases the Jews to go back and they can go back to their homeland. But while they're there, um, they're there. You remember the story. If you go back in Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 2, if you go back and read it, you'll read this story. It goes like this. Daniel uh, and the, the men, the magi of that time, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king, he's having these horrible dreams, and he wants them interpreted. He's not given all the information, but he wants to know what it is, and he wants them interpreted, and nobody can do it. Nobody can tell him the spots are missing what 's happening, and nobody can do it and He gets so angry he goes if you don 't interpret this i 'm going to kill all of you all my imagine i 'm taking you off the payroll permanently i 'm going to kill all of you and somebody said, "What about Daniel that Hebrew? He can interpret dreams and so they bring Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel interprets the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar makes him basically the chief official after that over all the others. And a matter of fact, these other magi are still going to be killed. But what does Daniel do? Daniel, on their behalf, goes and intercedes for them and begs the king, oh great king, please spare their lives. So the king spares them because of Daniel. They're going to be wiped out. And Daniel pleads on their behalf. So they're saved. So the magi like Daniel, okay? They like him for a couple of reasons. One, he's got an ability to interpret that they didn't have. It's amazing. It's remarkable. And then he saved their lives. They would have literally been wiped out. It would have been a form of genocide for magicians, I guess, and astrologers. And so it's, he's going to wipe them out, but because of Daniel. So there's favor. Now, don't get them confused with the satraps. That's another political party, basically, okay? Uh, they want, they're the ones that, that trap Daniel and try to get him killed, but not the magi. So Go down centuries and centuries. Remember like the sea gypsies, given that was centuries and centuries. Do you not think it's reasonable to assume that Daniel would have taught them? And they say, "How, Daniel, how do you know these things? Well, because I worship Yahweh. And here are the scriptures that I've learned, that I've memorized, and he shares with them. And he shares with them the prophecies that one day, Micah 5, 2, there will be a Messiah will come in Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephratah. And he, he, shares, the, 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 um, he shares the others from uh, Isaiah 7, 4, and Deuteronomy 4, 29, and Numbers 24, 17. He begins to share these prophecies. And they know. They, they believe, and it's passed down. And many of the Babylonians and the Jews, many of the Jews stayed in Babylon, by the way, when the exile occurred. They'd been there, you know, at that point, they'd been there 60 years, and they just said, hey, this is home, we're going to stay here. And so they're so certainly influenced. So that's almost, almost certain that's probably how they knew about the star, how they knew about the birth of Christ. So they're following yonder the star. Oh, star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright. There's that royalty theme of a king westward leading, still proceeding. Give us to thy perfect light. What does Jesus refer to himself as? The light of the world. Continuing on here, born a king in Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever ceasing, never over all of us to reign. Next verse. Frankincense to offer, in, I, I incense owns a de- deity nigh. Remember what we said about origin, thinking of uh, frankincense as a, uh, the incense of deity. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. Next verse, myrrh is mine. Remember what myrrh was used for. It's, it's, it's placed upon Jesus at his death, and the myrrh is mine. It's bitter perfume, Breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. Glorious, glorious now behold him arise, King and God in sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, sound through the earth and the skies. Well, let's look at our text here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 2. And as we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, um, you see, by the way, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you do, there's four geographical points uh, that are prophesied, and uh, one, of course, is Bethlehem. Uh, the other is Egypt. The other is Ramah, found in verse 18, and uh, then we see it at the end of the chapter uh, regarding Jesus being a Nazarene, which is the same root word in the Hebrew uh, for branch that we see in Isaiah chapter 11:1. Uh, so, anyway, that's that's more than. Most people care about, but I just think it's interesting you see the prophecy there in Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, why is that important? Go back to Micah 5 2. That's where it was prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? Beth. Anytime you see the word Beth means house. Lahim is bread, the bread of life. Another reference of Jesus, the bread of life. So, Born in Bethlehem in Judea, this is a fulfillment of the prophecies in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men, the Magi from the east, come to Jerusalem. And they say, Where is he who's been born, the king of the Jews? We've been taught that the king, the great king, the king of the world, the one that will rule the nations, we would follow a star and find him. Where is he? For we saw the star when it rose and came to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he's troubled. Why? Because Herod's the king. I want to be the great king. By the way, he's not even legally supposed to be the king. He's Edomite. He's not even a Jew. But he wants to be the king, and so he's threatened by this. And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, they inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him of the prophecy in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, O ye of Bethlehem, and here's Micah five two, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Now Bethlehem has a lot of great rich history. It's just a little community at this time. Scholars estimate uh, it was probably just a few hundred people. Matter of fact, when I was there last uh, last year, when I was in Israel, my wife and I went to Israel. We we saw Bethlehem, and it's you know it's kind of modernized. Now, but it wasn't that large back then. It's just about five or six miles out of Jerusalem, but it was a small place. But think about what's happened there. Uh, That's where Jacob, and what did Jacob have his name changed to? Israel. It's where he buried Rachel. It's where Boaz and Ruth met and were married. And this where David grew up, okay? Uh, and there, it's a typology of the Messiah who's to come. So it's rich in history, and, the, and the, uh, they know this. But, you know, you've got some of who are Sadducees who only take the first five books of the Bible. And they've probably heard a lot of these prophecies, but it's a lot like it is today. Yeah, whatever. I've heard that before, and I don't know if that's really coming. Probably not like we think, and yada, yada. But here it is. It's happening. And then the Bible says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod is a sly fox, uh, to tell you the least. He knows what he's doing. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, this is later. Six months, year, we're not exactly sure how long later, but it's later. Uh, inc- incidentally, we also, uh, there are some scholars that believe this, uh, and th- this, this is debatable, uh, but there are many scholars who believe that it was that exact same year that Jesus Christ was born, uh, that there was a conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars and that throughout the year there would be, you could see it visible, and it kind of made that triangle, uh, and that that might have been specifically what they saw and what they, were, what, what they were following, and it would reappear different times throughout the year. And so some scholars, biblical scholars believe that's what it was. Uh, but when they saw the star, they rejoiced, exceeding with great joy, and going into the house, excuse me, I apologize, and behold the star they had seen rose, and went before them, came over to the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell down. And what did they do? They worshiped him. Now, if you you were going to see a great king, it was common etiquette that you're going to bring a gift. And the greater the king, the greater the gift. This would be an assortment of about the greatest gifts that you could give. And now that would have been for a king. But you think about the amount of faith that these wise men have. They've they've not been the chosen people. They've not grown up hearing other than what Daniel taught and what's been passed down. They, in fact, are coming, and what do they do when they see a baby boy in a peasant's arms? What do they do? They bow down and they worship. Uh, J.C. Riles, who was a famous 18th century preacher and commentator and scholar, said he believes this is the greatest example of faith in all of Scripture. People who didn't grow up hearing it, people who had never seen Jesus, don't get to hear his teaching, don't get to hear his miracles, don't get any of that. But yet when they see him because of the word, the truth that had been passed down by the others, the truth, they fall on their knees and they worship him. The baby, the small child, amazing when you stop to think about it. And the Bible says as we continue here, let's finish up reading that passage they opening They opened their treasures, they offered gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Great story love, love the real Christmas story. God comes to earth, God comes here to be with us. A couple of things I think we can glean and we can notice and and know from this this passage. Uh, First of all, I just want to look at one prophecy, Numbers chapter 24. I mentioned it a while ago, verse 17. And uh, this is probably a prophecy that they were aware of. Uh, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And, And probably, again, the Magi probably had learned this from Daniel. A star shall come out of Jacob. Remember, Jacob is Israel. And a scepter, what is a ruler, a king who has a scepter, one who will rule, shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Shep. These were the enemies uh, of Israel at that time. And so it's, it's really quite amazing uh, that this is prophesied, and then we see the fulfillment happening here. So what do we learn from these? And what can we glean? What can we learn? Well, I, I love the fact that the wise men were seeking the Word of God. They were studying the Word of God, what little they had, what had been given, what had been passed to them, and they believed it. Number two, uh, the works of God. The works of God, they see They see the star, and they've read the prophecy, they've known the prophecy, and they see the work of God. They've been anticipating this. Don't you love that? I mean, it's like today we see Muslims in other countries that are given visions by God that they're seeing, and they're given revelations of who Isa, who Jesus is is, and they're coming to Christ. That's the amazing God that we serve. Uh, and then the way to God. They followed the way to God. It was through the Son, the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Savior. You know what's interesting? Um, the elites, you didn't hear that much about it, but the common men, there was a very, very popular expression. It was very much believed. Uh a matter of fact, uh, Suetonius and, and Tacitus, uh, Roman historians, tell that many of the common people believed that there was a great king that would come out of Judea. They were believing that, and there was an expression that went like this. Yes, the Romans are here now, and yes, we are oppressed, and and yes, uh, we are in a very difficult season of our history. But when the Messiah comes, that was a very popular expression, when the Messiah comes. So the people were believing, hey, there's going to be a great king come out of Judea. There will be a Messiah who will come, and here he is, Yeshua, Hamasia, Jesus the Messiah. And he will qualify, and he will affirm the three offices that are noted in the Old Testament. Jesus, first of all, is a prophet. What is a prophet in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament? A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God one who communicates for God. That's why Moses is called the great prophet by the Jews, regarded as the great prophet, because he spoke for God. He spoke the words. He transmitted the information from God. Then there are the priest. Who is the priest? The prophet was the one who spoke for God. The priest was the one who represented the people before God. The purpose of the priest, to present themselves to present the people that the sacrifice has been made and the, they'd gone through the ritual cleaning and now the priest presents the people. He presents their requests before God. But now Jesus will fulfill that. He's speaking for God because he is God and now he is the mediator between man and God and he's the king. He's the king. That's what the wise men said. Where is the one who's born king? of the Jews, and Jesus fulfills these three necessary offices. And then we have to decide what will be our response to Jesus today. Some met the response of Jesus Christ, just like they do now, with hostility. They were angry. Herod certainly was threatened by him and threatened by the birth of Jesus, by one who might be called a king. And He and many others, and many today, are still threatened. Uh, I, I've shared this story a couple times before, but I remember praying over one of our local cities here, and they asked me to come pray at a Christmas festival. And when I got through, us, I, I prayed in the name of Jesus. And I got some guy comes at me, red faced Why do you have to say the name Jesus? And I'm thinking, hold down, take a breath, man, buddy. What's going on here? So we start talking. He goes. Why do you have to always bring Jesus in there? I go, well, it is Christmas. (laughs) And um, he goes, why, though, couldn't you just say God? I go, well, Jesus is my God. See, that's what we believe as Christians. We are Trinitarian. We talked about this last week. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So when I say Jesus, I'm talking about my God. That's what I'm saying. And when you say that to some people, there's still that response. If you don't want Jesus to rule over your life, if you won't want him to be king, then you resent and it angers you. That someone should suggest that he should be, or a, that he is. Some are indifferent. Well, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you believe, what are you thinking? I don't really care. You know, what am I getting for Christmas? There's just a spirit of indifference. I, I believe the Sadducees were like this, probably. You know, they just took the first five books of the Bible, and so they weren't too, didn't care a whole lot about prophecy, and you know, they're just kind of indifferent. But then there were those who worshipped him, the wise men. Why would it be them? What about the shepherds? Hey, that's the lowest economic group in our our society. If you can't do anything else, you can always go be a shepherd. Why them? Why did he pick a peasant family that were so poor they couldn't afford to offer a proper offering? But guess who worshipped? Those who were looking for the Messiah. Those who sought. The true King, who needed the messiah that's the way he still is today. do you recognize your need for him? I remember when I was a kid growing up, <clears throat> I grew up, a Southern Baptist home, and I remember just being, being angry about half the time I ever went to church. I was just mad. You know why I was mad because when I was a little six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, we would uh, my parents would let me watch TV while they were getting ready, and championship wrestling came on. <laughs> And so it's the time to go to church. I go, no, don't we just watch? Do we have to go to church again? So I'd be mad coming on Sunday morning. I'm in a bad mood because I didn't get to see Grizzly Adams 1 or whoever it was. If you know that name, I, I'm afraid for you, but never. <laughs> right. Anyway, and then Sunday night, we're watching TV, the wonderful world of Disney. Time to go to church. It's kind of like the key. Come on, Dad. Nope, time to go to church. And I was really in bad moods on Sunday night. I noticed a lot of people were in bad moods on Sunday nights, by the way. But um, so that was my attitude. Like, I just kind of have this anger every time you said church because it's like taking something away from me. That's not where I want to be. I've I got another place I want to be. I want to be in front of this tube, this black and white TV we have. And then as I got older, getting my preteens, I'm not really that mad about that. Okay, Disneyland, whatever, Disney World, Walt Disney, whatever you call it. Okay, now there's, you know, i I noticed there are girls here and things of that nature. And so I go, but I'm pretty much indifferent. Eh, it's time to go to church. All right. And I see my friends, talk to them, but really no real connection. Was it wasn't later on in my teens where I was at camp and God just really got a hold of my life? And when I came after that, when I really came to Christ, committed myself to him where when I come, you know, it was in an anticipation of worship. I started seeing church as a place of worship, not at a place that prevented me from being where I wanted to or indifferent to what was going on around me, but it's a time to worship. The truth of it is we all fit into one of those three categories today. Some of you are here and you're, you're hostile. You go, I'm not hostile. If I say, Jesus is the way, truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but through him, if you do not trust Christ, you cannot know God, you cannot have your sins forgiven, and you will spend a turning away. How's that, what does that provoking you? So, I mean, if you're honest, you go, it makes me mad. I don't like that message. That's biblical. Some of you would go, yeah, you know, I've heard that all my life. I'm good. And, you know, Christmas season, I just try to get through it and sing and pray. You know, do you all have a Christmas program here this year? Um, you know, we just kind of get into that. It's just kind of what you do, kind of indifferent. But do you see this is a time to worship where we celebrate the glory of God, that God came to earth, Emmanuel. God is with us, and we give him thank. Thanks and praise and glory. For it's the purpose for which we were created. To bring him glory. Do you see that as your purpose? Do you see this as a time where we can kneel before the king and bring our gifts of worship before him? In worship. It's the purpose for why you're still here. To be a light into the world. To bring him praise and glory. To worship. What about you? Are you hostile? Are you indifferent? Are you worshiping? Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. You've never come to that place where you say, I I reckon I'm I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus came to this earth. He lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. And I put my trust and my hope in him. I believe in the truth. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me. Be my Savior. If you've not done that, I invite you to do that this morning. If you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I've just found myself indifferent. I've been raised in church, but I'm not really doing anything. I'm not serving. I'm not giving. I'm not sharing. I'm not making worship a priority. I want to ask you to ask God just convict you and just be willing to take a step of commitment to Him today. As God speaks, you respond. If you're visiting with us today, we're going to invite you to just take out one of those yellow cards in front of the seat and fill that out with as much information as you're comfortable and put it in the offering box. If you're here and you said, hey, I I want to know for sure I have a relationship with Christ, or I want to know how to take another step, or I'm ready to follow through with baptism, then do that and write that on the card and just drop that in the offering basket as it comes. And then if you're a believer, we ask you to consider worshiping through giving today. One of the ways that we profess what we believe is through giving And so as an act of worship, we invite you to worship through giving. It's a testimony of what we really believe and not just what we say. It's a testimony of worship as opposed to indifference. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great blessings. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a time to celebrate his birth. Thank you for a time, Lord, that we can bring you worship and praise and glory. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you today, I pray that you draw him by the power of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.